Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire you in your walk with God. For more information about our church, check out our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram at C3 Calgary West. Greetings to you all. Anybody get to pet the goats? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I volunteered to go in there as well. To, I like being petted, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow me, unfortunately. Welcome to uh, church, everybody. I've got a word on my heart. You know, by the way, the men are having a thing on uh, Father's Day weekend as well. It's called Legacy, and that's, you can register online right away. There's an early bird for that as well. It's going to be great. Probably better than the women's, but... I just have the mic, that's all. <laughs> hey, I was just thinking about Easter so much, the reading through um, all of the narratives again in the Gospels, and uh, it's really remarkable uh, to me that this uh, rather obscure uh, carpenter uh, becomes the greatest leader in the entire history of the earth. And uh, if you were a gambling person, uh, well, if you're even given a little bit to gambling, um, well, even if you're not a gambler, just for example, uh, who would have put your money on the Roman Empire would still be here today, the mighty Roman Empire, or the Roman army, one of the greatest on the earth, or a little obscure rabbi with 12 inexperienced followers, who would have lasted? We know who lasted. It's, uh, we, we still name our children after some of the disciples, Matthew, John, and Peter, and we name our dogs after Nero, <laughs> and our cat food after Caesar. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> um, this week was a, a little, it was quite moving as we watched the landmark, the great Notre Dame Cathedral, go up in flames, but Jesus didn't die for a building, he died for a body. That's what he did, right? And he gave his life up that people could have supernatural life. And I, it's encouraging to see them rebuilding and the money given for that, but um, we loved, we'll love to go visit the new Notre Dame. But the point is, you and I have been given an opportunity for new life because of what Christ has done on, in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what we celebrate on, on Easter morning. Um, I'm not sure if you uh, were aware or not, but when we read the stories of what took place, there's very specific events that are in the Gospels, and uh, I sometimes wonder why is that there and not something else, because there's so much that took place during that time. If you, I'm not sure if you're aware or not that there were two massive earthquakes, one the day that Jesus died and another the day he rose again. In Matthew chapter 27 and 28, you'll see there's two uh, significant uh, earthquakes, and, um, and what was taking place was the great cosmic battle of all time, good and evil, were at... At, at, at in the ring, and um, the story of Christ's death was over a period of six hours, and um, half of that time was in total darkness, where the, the sun no longer, it's, it's, it says that it no longer had any light, and um, all of creation was aware of the creator that had just died, but that wasn't the final, final voice, it wasn't the final word. And uh, <clears throat> we see that at the end of his life, when he shouts, it's finished. He had very, lots of life left in him, actually. He was the life. He had life left in him. 
But when he gave up and surrendered his spirit, one nanosecond later, he was in hell, we would say, or Hades, and he was recalling the promises of his father that he would rise again. And so even though Saturday is somewhat silent, the Sabbath was silent, actually a lot was taking place in another dimension at that time. He would come back. Then, like he said, he would return. He'd come back, and uh, he would come in a different form, and he would tell the disciples, you can touch me. He was, he was matter, but a different type of matter. He said, touch me. Uh, I am flesh and bone. He doesn't say he's flesh and blood. He says he's flesh and bone because his blood was given to purchase our salvation. There was no more blood in him. He had a body that was different and very unique. He could, walls wouldn't restrict him or hold him back. He would step through those walls, but yet he'd sit down and he'd eat fish with his disciples. How that digestion process took place and uh, how, I have no idea. I'm fascinated by it as much as you are. But what took place is that he came back to life. And so it, we're told that he appeared to over 500 people and uh, that he hung around for approximately 40 days. And so this is what we celebrate today, not his death, not his burial, but his resurrection. And just encourage you to read through the different narratives in Scripture so you can see that he was the fulfillment. We call him the Lamb of God because the Lamb was symbolic of the Passover Lamb, but now the real had come. So the, the symbol was no longer important because the real was actualized and lived among us. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. I feel quite a bit like uh, the disciples uh, at this point were in verse 31. He says he gathered the 12 around him, and Jesus told them. It's interesting the, te- the pronouns that he uses here. As you know, we are going to Jerusalem, and when we get there, all the predictions of the ancient prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans to be mocked and treated shamefully and spit upon, and then they will whip him and kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. Pretty clear what was going to take place, but the interesting passage for me that I identify with the most is verse 34, where it says, but they didn't understand a thing he said. (laughs) Some of you will have heard the Easter story. Easter is not a biblical word. It comes from the Babylonian goddess of fertility, Ishtar, and and so that's why we have uh, eggs and bunnies. Um, but, he, but it said they, they, they didn't understand a thing that he said. Its significance was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was even talking about. You may have read the Easter story a number of times, but maybe you've not been aware of the personal significance of what it means specifically to you or your family. Um, so that's what I want to look at today uh, about Jesus and his, not just his death, but about his resurrection and, um, and I, I, I don't think that you can take the resurrection from the story at, and you can't remove the cross from the story. It's all part of the same story for you and I. For the Romans, it was just another day. To the Roman soldiers who were taught to do their job of making sure the criminals were dead. So to them, it's just another crucifixion day. Just another day, another denarius. Just another day in the life of a Roman soldier And some of them, of course, would carry swords, some would carry spears. And for them, they wanted to remove all debate and all question uh, whether this insurrectionist was going to rise again like he said. So they made sure that one of them shoved the spear into Jesus' side, and out of his side was birthed symbolically the church that day, and his bride, 
but he, they made sure, oh yeah, he's completely dead. And so what would take place after that then is that they would seal the, the grave. The, the, the interesting thing to me, if you read uh, Luke chapter 19, we're going to read chapter 20, but just the last five or six verses of Luke chapter 19, there was two prominent men that, that had the last touch of Jesus. I think this is significant. These were very influential men at that time. One was Joseph, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. He'd had a, a, a cave a tomb that was hollowed out. And the other was Nicodemus. So the t- these two guys asked for the body of Jesus. And they would have somehow carried Christ. What a picture. The one who had carried the sin of the world. They're carrying him. And they would carry him to the place where they would lay his body. And then it says that they prepared him for burial. The style of burial they were referring to, of course, was different than our embalming today. But it says that they used 75 pounds of spices to, to, as they embalmed him. They would wrap cloth and put the spices between the folds of his body. And it occurred to me as I was reading that story that, that these men, it's just a beautiful picture of the, 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 these, these prominent men that they would, they would take claws, and part of the burial procedure was they would wash the body of Jesus. And I don't know if you can feel it or not, but you imagine washing the blood out of the beard of Jesus. The places, and there would be places where his beard was ripped out. They'd be raw skin. Or taking some of those claws and going over his back where it would have looked like a chainsaw had went over his back, and and wiping the blood away, and that big wound in his side, and how they forced the crown on his head, which was a picture of the curse, of course, the thorns. And, and they would have prepared his body, removed the crown of thorns, and set it off to the side. It's such a moving tribute to me that someone would take the time to prepare the body. And it wasn't the women. The women were beautiful and significant, of course. And we'll read about Mary, how beautiful that is. But I just saw these men taking the time to prepare his body. And then, and then it says, Joseph rolled the stone in front of the tomb, and then the Romans would come, and in some form, we don't know, they would have sealed the tomb. Like in those days, it was quite common for uh, significant uh, documents to be sealed with, with, with wax and then a, a signature uh, apparatus of some kind. And, and it would have meant that it's the owner of the one that sealed it. And so for the, when they sealed the tomb, it meant that the contents within there belonged to Rome. And so it would have looked that day that Roman was, Rome was powerful and its army was powerful, but the, but the tomb could not hold our Savior. And that seal, they placed the seal. And, and so their job was done. That just another day, but it was the epoch and the turning point of a whole new era for you and I, that Jesus would make a way for you and I. And, and it's just, the, the, the picture to me was significant of, of him preparing him for bur- burial. And as you look, we'll look at John chapter um, 20, and we'll see that it was early on a Sunday morning, uh, some versions will say on the Lord's Day, because he completely uh, fulfilled all of the law where the Sabbath was instituted as a rest after six days of work, but 
This wasn't the Sabbath, and nor is it what I would call a Christian Sabbath. Uh, this was the Lord's day. And the difference was that he fulfilled what took place in those six days, and then he said, you need to rest. Well, Jesus, in his body, was, was crucified and for six hours hung on the cross, and then there was a rest. And for you and I, it all changes because now when we come to the Lord's day, when our life is given to him, now everything, now our work comes out of that. Otherwise, it's just religion. And so he, re he changed and reversed the law at that point. And so something would have taken place while it looked like a, a silent uh, little, little hiatus between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Something was taking place in that cold, dark tomb. And I'm not sure how it would have worked but it seems to me that while the men were washing his body, they were probably wondering, you know, he said he was going to come back to life. I wonder if there's going to be a twitch. <laughs> I don't know. Those of you who hunt, you know that. Well, we, well that's a bad me metaphor. Um, but you want to know, is he dead? <laughs> and he, you know, and they would have wondered. And, and when they were washing his face, will we see an eye blink? But something would have taken place in somewhere after that tomb was sealed and one of his fingers or some of the joints would have started to go and his eyes would have and his chest would have and he stepped right through the cloth. He didn't unravel himself. This is such a beautiful picture. And all of a sudden the son of man comes back to life. I read biographies because I think they're the, one of the best ways to learn. There's two ways we learn. Sorry, there's one way we learn, by experience, either by our own or by others. And when you read biographies, you can correct your life by some of the mistakes they made. But I've yet to read a biography where at the end of the biography, they said, and he got up again. <laughs> good man, Mahatma Gandhi. Good man, Mandela. Good man, Confucius, probably. But they died. Jesus is like no other. He rose again. This is what our hope is based on, the, the, um, the Lord's Day. And, and I just find this entire story always so encouraging and invigorating because for most of us, we understand that the mortality rate of mankind consistently hovers around 100%. But there's one that defied that. There was one. Um, I look in the, the Matthew chapter 27, and, it's, and this is what was, uh, it's quite a funny scripture to me, because his disciples couldn't understand what took place, even though he told them over and over. But his enemies knew exactly what was going to happen. In verse 20, or 62, it says, the next day the, of the Passover, the first day of the Passover, is the leading priests and the Pharisees, they went to the pilots, and, or went to the, uh, so they went to see Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember, don't you love that? They knew. Disciples forgot. They remembered what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. He said, after three days, I'm going to be raised again from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb so he doesn't get out. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing the body and telling them everybody, everyone had come. And then at the end, it'll be worse than the first. And so they said, take the guards, get your best guards, and make sure that the place is sealed and that there's no chance of any shenanigans. <clears throat> so interesting to me. Um, so let's go to chapter 20 in John where it says early on the first morning, um, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolling away from the entrance and she found, ran and she found Simon Peter, the other disciple 
the one that Jesus loved. I put my name in there. I'm the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Very, I'm very narcissistic about that. And uh, she, she went to the tomb. Just get the picture of a woman who feels hopeless. The one she desperately loved is gone. And, he's, and there's no record of anybody coming back to life again. And so she's, she's in a, it's still dark. And she comes to the tomb, the place of death. And, and, and if you're around long enough in life, you'll come to dark places. You'll come to places that are lonely and hollow and hopeless. And what happens is our hearts can get hard in those places. And so what she did intuitively, she ran and she told the disciples, two of the disciples, they've taken the Lord's body and I don't know where they've put him. And Peter and the other disciple, they ran to see. I circle those words, see. Because they both ran in, but they saw different things. He says that Peter, when they ran in, the other disciple outran Peter. Obviously, he'd been training on his elliptical at better cardio. <clears throat> he got there, he outran him. Um, this, he's the type of guy you take bear hunting, right? You don't, <laughs> you just want to be able to outrun your buddy, that's all. <clears throat> um, uh, Peter and the other disciple, they ran. The other disciple outran him, he got there first. It would seem that this has some meaning. But he, but he says this, he stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. So what did he see? This is, there's three words, different words used for the word see here. The first one says, he says he, he, he looked, he stooped and he looked in, he saw the linen cloth. That word means glance. And he looked in. The, then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside and he noticed the linen cloths lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side. That, that term means to, to make careful observation. Different word. He noticed. Made some observations. They, two men looked at the same thing, saw different things. Um, the, then he says, then the other disciple who went in, he saw and he believed. And that word for saw means to perceive with intelligent comprehension. So they saw, but... Sometimes you can just look but not know what just took place. For some of you, you may have seen Jesus and his pictures and read his story, but have you comprehended his, what, his, what, that, what took place and how it applies to you? You can see the same thing, but it can have different movies, movies, motives. For until then, he hadn't realized that what the scripture had said, that he would rise again, and then they went home. Read, read with me verse 30, because when things are put in scripture, they're put there for a reason. It says the reason, sorry, Jesus' disciples saw him do lots of other miraculous things besides the one recorded in the book. So not, he did much more than we read in the Bible. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life. Who needs life? People who are dead. If you think you're already alive enough, Jesus isn't for you, I guess. But for people who understand that there's a higher quality, a better quality, an abundant and a full life, a quality of life that you're not quite, quite enjoying, that there's more to life, then Jesus could be your answer. I submit to you, he is. And the things that are written in scripture is so that we don't just believe, so that by believing, we will have life, a quality of life that won't keep you down but, and can't stop you, but allow you to get back up again. Like the, Jew, the, the, the Japanese Proverbs, fall seven, rise eight. Resurrection light causes us, you and I, to get back up again, to get back up in the game, to not be defeated. The resurrection, resurrected king, he can resurrect us as well. We've all faced some defeats. We've all faced some disappointments. 
but the resurrection life of Jesus causes us to see things a little different so we can get back up again and stay in the game. Disappointment. It's one of the things, I think, that could really derail us. The word life is used 36 times in the book of uh, John. Um, he, he then, uh, and I'll make some comments after this, he then, uh, I think Peter, Simon Peter, he's still disappointed. He's living with some past disappointments. And he said, I'm going fishing. And he said, uh, the others said, we'll come to, in chapter 21, verse 3, and so they all went in the boat and they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, the disciples saw Jesus on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. Uh, it's one thing to see him, but there's another thing to see who he is. It says that they, were, they, they looked at him. They said, oh, they, they, at dawn, they saw Jesus. They saw him standing on the beach, but they couldn't see who he was. I'm, whatever picture you have of Jesus is wrong. Anybody, you, whatever your picture of of Jesus, it's very likely, if it's been drawn, an artist's sketch of Jesus, it's quite likely it's wrong. Do you know what language Jesus spoke? For the, mo- for the large part, I think he th- spoke English. He didn't speak English. It wasn't Caucasian. I don't know what your Jesus is like. But he is, he is what language did he say? He is language. He is the word. He's he's beyond all of that. But I submit to you that we can actually have a see Jesus but not see who he is for me. They saw him, but but having seen him, they didn't realize who he was for them. And what he asked them to do then is to take, the wrong question to ask a fisherman is, how how many fish did you catch? It's always the wrong question. Yes, if you had fun. He never asked if they caught any fish. That's terrible to admit that. So he asked them, how many, hey, how's fishing going there? And here's what he invites them to do. And this is the difference between failure and success. He says, I want you to do what you're doing a different way. And so their success was, ba- really, how far was it away? The width of a boat. He said, just do that there. Jesus isn't telling you to change everything you're doing. But he's asking you to submit your life to him and maybe do it a different way so you can find some much more fulfillment and greater success. It's just, it's just like, do what you're doing, but just do it over here. It's not a big shift, but it's enough to acknowledge that he's not just Savior, but he's also Lord. This, um, this little interaction for me, um, I can see in these two chapters, I can see some disappointed disciples. Um, Next month, no, this summer, I'm asked to sit on a panel and uh, to ask, uh, to the, my question is, what's the greatest risk in ministry? Uh, what, what would be the greatest risk in ministry? I'm going to answer it like this, I think, is disappointment. I think our greatest risk lies in us becoming cynical, having thrown yourself into something and then it not turned out like you hoped. Has anybody felt like you've... You've done your best, and it didn't turn out like you hoped. You fished all night, worked hard. The, word, the definition for cynic is a fault finder, one who believes that people are motivated by self-interest. A synonym is a critic. What, is, what does a cynic do? A cynic looks at the world a certain way. Um, these, these two guys looked at the thing, and they saw something different. They both had been disappointed. Uh, can I submit to you that everybody in this room has been disappointed? That's not the issue if you'll be disappointed. The question is, what are you going to do with your disappointments? 
Are you going to let them now define the rest of your life? Because here's what happens. We don't start off that way. We don't start off. Well, And part of the reason is we read Facebook instead of the faith book. Nobody puts in the yearbook, in your yearbook. You don't put this in your yearbook. I, when I'm 18 years old, I want to grow up and be disappointed, disillusioned, and depressed. I'm going to have some, a few bad incidents, a few disappointments, and I'm never going to get over them. I'm going to become bitter, narrow-minded, and I want to be known as the one with the big scowl. Go Flames. <laughs> who, who would put that in their yearbook? You never start off like that because usually in youth you look forward to a better life. But here's what can happen. A disappointment at 17 can turn out to be not just a bad moment, but a bad life at 70 because you didn't get over the disappointment. And then the rest of your world is now seen through that grid. I can't trust people. And when did you learn that? Probably about grade one, maybe earlier. But what we'll do is we can put little vows in our mind that you had a bad bump with a, in a relationship and then you make this vow. You, all men are the same. If you're female, you had that. You, you, you work hard in a job and then all of a sudden the boss says, sorry, you're done. And then you think, oh, all bosses are the same. You're down. You've got to get back up again. <laughs> you're... you're it, you start a business, and you put everything you've got into it, and the market turns. You say, I'm never going to do that again. No, no, you got to get up one more time. The resurrection life gets you up again. It helps you to view things that look disappointing and look like that, that there's, there's no more hope. It, it, it gives you the ability to perceive them differently. You, 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 if, you're not care, if you're not careful, that, that can define your whole life. A cynic is simply somebody who has had some bumps and never got over them. we got to learn to get through and get over our disappointments. A, 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 a cynic was once an optimist that believed in something better, but he got bumped along the way, or she got bumped along the way. Mary looks in. He was my, this, this one that I love so much, I would give anything to follow him. He's gone. But when, when they looked inside, these two guys looked inside, and they saw different things. Jesus asks Mary a question, why are you crying? What are you looking for? She could say, he could have said, what are you seeing? Could have been the same question. Um, age doesn't specifically make you a cynic. Neither does life. We become a cynic because we choose to be cynical. Life doesn't have to do it to you. Cynicism doesn't sneak up on you because you don't care. It's because you really do care. It it begins the day after you have emptied your heart into something or someone and you got nothing in return. That's the day that hope dies. It started one day, disappointed. The sun went dark in your heart. Said, I don't want to try anymore. Fear, that fear creates a callousness on your heart and you don't want to trust again. If that's the case, Sunday, the Lord's Day, Resurrection is for you. One looks in, sees a cloth. The other one sees a cloth folded. Seems like a small incident, but these things are written so that you might believe, and by believing, you might have life. It's quite a, quite a that little statement, um, you know. But but what do you see? How do you and how do you see? Um, one looked in and just saw 
He saw a long linen cloth. That's what he's told he was wrapped in. But the other one's saying, hey, he got up and he was moving around in here and he, God, he it's like he made his bed, folded up the claws. Uh, I'm not great at making beds, and the result is I, my wife loves doing that, then I would never want to deprive her of that spiritual <laughs> gift and her getting a m- massive reward for that someday. But it seems like Jesus, he, he, he got up and he starts doing some domestic duties. He's alive. And he didn't, he didn't like, unwrap himself. Isn't that just a phenomenal thing? Those grave clothes and that, that couldn't hold him. He just stepped through it. And, but, but why he would stop and fold the thing only for somebody to look in and say, hey, I left some evidence to let you know. I, this, wasn't, this wasn't chaotic. This wasn't a big battle. I just stepped up, folded this up, let's go. Just another day, but it changed the trajectory of history. Let me, let me make a couple of comments to practicing cynics. First of all, um, we've heard that knowledge is power. Let me say knowledge can be toxic as well. Your ability to remember things uh, unredemptively and remember that hour and remember that hurt and when it still has some sting, it can, memories can be toxic as well. Um, the second thing is that you need to protect your future from your past because your past is not your future with Jesus. The Bible says that the cross looks like foolishness to people who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's a different perspective for us. You might, you might say, um, it sounds like wisdom, uh, don't trust again. It's not wisdom, it's cynicism. Um, suspicion sneaks in there and it takes a hold in your heart, and so we stop hoping, we stop believing, and we stop risking um, I'm not sure what happened to your faith along the way. I'm not sure what happened to your church experience. Uh, I'm sorry for all those bumps, but what if we looked at things a little fresher through the eyes of the resurrected king today and then we get back up again and we try again. Let me close with this thought. Um, we, we start to use what we see in negative light. The, the Sunday still looks dark and the tomb still looks empty. And rather than seeing potential in life, you see the pain in the potential. Um, he, we get cold-hearted and jaded and because cynicism grips our hearts. What happens in our 20s and 30s, we go through ups and we go through downs and we calibrate ourselves. But if we're not careful by making proper decisions in those early years, as we get older, someplace, I don't know where, 50, 60, I don't know where it is, But that bad day when you were 17 turns out to be a bad life when you're 70 because you never adjusted your perspective. It can be that simple. You watch people, the older older people. You have a look at them. You'll find that they settled on one side side or the other. And they can still let one of those bumps define them. You look at people's lives. I find people who are joyful and full of life older life, older than me. I look for them people. Uh, You can find, easy to find people who are narrow-minded and crotchety, easy to find them. Here's what happened. They just took a bump and couldn't get over the bump. The the, the resurrected king can resurrect you by giving you, reminding you that you can have a fresh perspective and you can get up and you can get going again. (laughs) It doesn't have to define you and it doesn't have to keep you down. Um, If you think that despair won, you simply 
keep reading and you'll find that Jesus came back and he took the one who had denied him and he restored him. He denied him three times, he restored him three times. And there's two times the word charcoal fire is used in scripture. Once when he was identified as one of them and he denied Christ. And the other time was when he cooked them breakfast. The term charcoal fire is there as well. Why? Your smell is the most powerful sensory reminder that you have. And so he wanted to remind him, Peter, you're not disqualified. You have to do much more than that to think you could ever be disqualified. And when he appears to them anyway, he says, peace, shalom. I want to pray for two groups of people this morning as we close. Would you just stand with me as we wrap it up? It's very easy in life, not just ministry life, but in life where you get disappointed. We end up getting a bit discouraged and, and, and one of those moments in our life can end up defining the rest of our path. Somebody let you down, a thing happened, you know, so, I'm so sorry. But don't let it define the rest of your life. We can, have, we can look at things and see different things. The other group of people I wanna pray for is those who don't know Christ as Savior. And what we'll ask you to do is actually do something. Don't just look, but look in and see something. If this morning you see something of Christ, it's different. I want you to respond. And our response, for one, he, he actually went inside and had a look. You actually have to do something. What Christ did for you, you have to do something to respond to that. My invitation is you simply put up your hand today. I'm going to pray a prayer for you where you're standing, and then we're going to release you. If you're here this morning and hope has been somehow Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.